Hello and welcome to the stories that brought you here, a podcast dedicated to the stories of the people living in and around the Salish Sea. I'm your host, Chris Wakaluk, and it's my pleasure to get to interview people and hear the stories that brought them to this beautiful part of the world we live in. This particular episode you're listening to today is part of a special series called Welcome Home. As we all know, the world has changed a lot the past few years, and Pender Island has seen a lot of change. It seems like many people have decided to make a big move in their lives and relocate to this little paradise. This series is a chance to get to meet some of the new residents of our island, to get to know them a little bit better, hear why they chose Pender, where they moved from, how they would like to participate in the community going forward, and ultimately this is a chance to get to welcome them to their new home. And in this episode, the first of the series, I'll be speaking with Alexandra Harrison. In this interview, she'll explain how she and her partner Joe were living in Brentwood Bay, just across the water on the Saanich Peninsula, and they decided to do some house hunting. And they looked towards Pender Island. Part of the reason for that was Alexandra's grandfather introduced her to the Gulf Islands when she was a young girl, because he built a house on a property that he purchased in the late 60s, so she had an experience with one of our neighboring Gulf Islands. And her partner Joe is an avid disc golfer. So like many of you know, we have an incredible disc golf course and one thing led to another and they wound up moving here. She's going to explain how that all worked out. She'll also talk about the business that she created as a proposal writing consultant and through the work that she does with that, she's able to work from home. She's also going to let us know about what her reflections are on the past year or so has been like for her and Joe living on the island, which has been really positive and a whole lot more. So just a couple notes before we begin. I actually recorded this many months ago back in May, and I wasn't quite ready to put out the podcast series. So that gets mentioned in the episode. The reason I delayed putting this out was because I wanted to wait until the fall time when people were going to be spending more time listening to podcasts like we don't necessarily do in the summer. I plan to be releasing many more of these interviews as the weeks and months go by, so stay tuned for more of these coming out. And if you're interested in getting updates for future podcasts coming out, one of the best ways to do that is through Facebook if you're on it. I have a page there called The Stories That Brought You Here. You can also find this podcast through Podbean. You can follow along and listen on Spotify as well as Apple Podcasts and many other ways to listen. But if you're interested in finding out about new episodes coming out, I would suggest joining the Stories That Brought You Here page, and you can get updates through Facebook. So that's about it for the intro. We're going to have a little bit of music, and then you're going to get to meet one of the new fantastic people to our island, Alexandra Harrison. So what was your first introduction to the Gulf Islands? My introduction to the Gulf Islands came through my grandfather. He bought a a piece of property on Galliano in the, I want to say it was maybe the mid, mid to late 60s. And he spent my entire life and the years before that. So I think it was 35 years in total that he spent building this beautiful home. It was warm and full and he loved entertaining. He was really an incredible man and so many people considered him their very best friend in the whole world. So he would open his home and have these huge dinner parties and he wanted to build a home that could 
accommodate everybody and have enough rooms for everybody. And, you know, it had this little library and it had a puzzling corner and it had, you know, couches for reading and all of these different little nooks and crannies because he wanted everybody who came there to feel comfortable and at home. And so to me, the Gulf Islands were exactly that. They were this connection to my grandfather and the way that he made me feel and the way that he made everybody around him feel. And it was this oasis. It was, you know, you leave everything behind and you're going for the weekend or the summer and you're going to Galliano and you're going to go stay with grandpa and you're going to make pancakes and read and he's going to have friends over and you're going to, you know, stay up past your bedtime. And it was just always this place of incredible serenity and also a place where you could completely be yourself. There were very few expectations. I mean, obviously, you know, we everybody participated. There was always a project. So everybody was pulling together. So there were certainly expectations of participation, but there weren't expectations for who you needed to be or how you needed to act. He was really very progressive in that sense of just loving and accepting people exactly as they come. And so it was, as I grew up, it continued to be this place that was really important to me. And so after he passed and we no longer had the Galliano house and we didn't have that, that home to go to, I kept it in my mind and my heart that someday I wanted to retire to the Gulf islands. And that was what I had it in my mind as, you know, a, a, retirement destination that someday I would bring myself and my heart back to the Gulf Islands. And then when Joe and I were house hunting, we figured out a way to make it work so that we could live on the Gulf Islands now. And the way that we could make that work was looking at, you know, which which islands have a ferry schedule that will allow for commuting because Joe works in Victoria still and I work from home. And so we had to figure out something that was actually going to work for us now, today, so that we can still have our, you know, retirement plans of us both being on the island full time, but we could start to live that life now, which was so exciting. And like, I still am pinching myself because I just didn't think it was possible. I didn't think that we could come and live on a Gulf Island and live in this paradise, certainly not in our 30s, you know, like it just seemed like such a dream. And I'm very grateful to Joe that he let me see, he helped me to see that it was possible. We could do it. We could actually pull it off. And so here we are and we've, we've done it. And now I'm living the Gulf Island life. Cool. Right on. Yeah, I'm totally going to get into the story about how you specifically came to move to Pender and what you're doing beforehand. But I'm really actually intrigued about your grandfather is like, just before we started recording, you mentioned that your grandfather was a principal. Yes, he yes, he was a principal. Um, he had a few different careers. He was a butcher at one point, and he was a an elementary school principal. And he was really something special. There would always be stories of, because by the time I was old enough to be aware of his career, he had retired. But there were stories of him being, you know, the principal who would flood the the field when there was, um, you know, in the wintertime to make an ice hockey pond and, you know, get all the kids out playing ice hockey. And 
the direct influence that it had on me was encouraging us to be reading all the time. And he just had this love for people and children and encouraging everybody to be who they can be and who they want to be. And he was just such a warm and wonderful person. It was just a lot of fun. He was silly and goofy. And I think that I'm, I would be very interested to see what he was like in school, you know, because you think of principals as being the firm one. Totally. But, you know, the, the, but that wasn't him at all. And so I'm so curious about, you know, was he goofy? Or did he save that for when he was at home? But the stories that I hear about his time as a principal definitely make it seem like he kept that glint in his eye and that cheeky sense of humor even while he was at work. Right on. Where was he a principal? In Richmond. Okay. Yeah, that's where my mom grew up. And so he was a, yeah, he was a principal in, in Richmond. I'll have to check with her to make sure because I don't, I don't remember what school specifically, but I'll have to, yeah, I'll have to check with her. Okay, no worries. Yeah. That's a, what was his uh, first name? Well, his real name was Atchison Niblet Lucy. What? Okay. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> Could you say that again? Atchison Niblet Lucy. All right. Okay. Is his real full name. Yeah. But he went by Bill. All right. Yeah. This makes sense. Yes. Yeah. When he was younger, I think somebody, the st- as the lore goes, somebody laughed and said, I'm absolutely not calling you Atchison. I will call you Bill. <laughs> and so, so Bill stuck. So my whole life, um, he was Grandpa Bill. Um, I don't, I've never heard anybody call him Atchison. Probably only his mother called him Atchison. <laughs> okay. Uh, he sounds like a super empowering individual to his, uh, mm-hmm. grandchildren. And I guess I would imagine his children as well too, but that's, uh, that's pretty rad. Yes, very much. He had a really strong work ethic. Um, and he instilled that in us as well. But I think the part that was fun was that he would make the hard work fun. So, you know, going over to Galliano, there was always a project. He liked to do things himself. That's why the house took 35 years, because he didn't want to hire thing, hire anything out. He wanted to, you know, learn himself and then gather, you know, friends and family and everybody do it together. And so we learned that, yeah, you come expecting to work and you're going to work hard. But you're also going to laugh really, really hard and you're going to, you know, eat really good food. And so I think that it instilled really early in all of us that work working hard doesn't have to be a punishment to yourself. It can actually be something that you enjoy. And so I think that that was really impactful because I love work. I love my work. And I don't feel like that many people say that. And I think that I got that at least in part from him. Yeah, not too many people do say they love their work. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. Um, And we were talking about your work uh, a few days ago, and I really want to get into this because I think it's super interesting. But if you could uh, inform the people listening as to what it is that you do for work and uh, give a little bit of uh, background to that story. Yes, absolutely. So I am a uh, proposal writing consultant. I have a consultancy called Precision Writing, and I have a small team, and we work with mostly engineers, but also other disciplines to evaluate the way that they write proposals 
and look at what they're doing well, what they can improve so that they can win more projects, win more bids. So we conduct audits of their work. We put together templates. We do workshops and train their team all with the goal for the companies that are doing really good work, but they're not representing themselves the way that they could to represent themselves the way that they really are, to find the thing that makes them special, to find that, you know, that value add, that, you know, the thing that makes them not only qualified, but genuinely the right fit for that project. And it can be really frustrating for teams when they're putting a lot of time and energy and resources into putting together a proposal because they know that they can do it. They know that they could do it well, but it's this delicate dance of, you know, doing, doing and saying the right things in the right ways for you to actually land the work. And so it's very satisfying for me to be able to start working with a team that is doing really interesting work, but they're only winning maybe 10% of the submissions that they put in. And so they're spending a lot of time on this and then figuring out, okay, what can we improve on? What can we reshape? What can we learn about your team that you know, but you're not communicating that thing that makes you special and then teach them how to communicate that and also how to be compliant with RFPs that that's a, the very technical side of things. So there's kind of this, what is an RFP? Oh, it's a request for proposal. So a municipality, for example, will put out a request for proposal and they'll say, we're looking for an engineering firm to design the new roadway that's going in, in this community. And all of these firms will put together their, their submission packages according to the requirements of that RFP that the municipality has issued. And so they're having to not only be compliant with the requests, but they have to craft a narrative as well. And so that that's kind of the juggling act of how do you tell a story, but also remain compliant? Okay. It's, it's interesting when you said, how do you tell the story? I've, I was listening to a podcast a few days ago and talking about myth and storytelling and you know, this part of what this podcast is about is people telling their stories and engaging other people through their stories. And uh, I think the power of story is uh, incredibly huge and uh, important. And so with with you starting this work, how did you get into the side of creating your own business? And how did that process develop for you? So I started out as a proposal writer with a structural engineering firm in Victoria, I was working in-house with them originally as an admin, and then I discovered that I had this interest and this ability to write these proposals, and then I moved to Alberta. And when I moved to Alberta, there weren't as many engineering firms that were in the same position as a lot of the firms in Victoria. So a lot of the firms that were out in Alberta were in Calgary or Edmonton. And I was in Red Deer. And so that was much more oil and gas and not as much engineering and architecture. And so I started working with other companies other than engineers. And I realized that there was this common thread among many of these organizations that they had 
put in the work to build themselves to the point where they could pursue these larger government contracts, but they didn't have the infrastructure in place or the ability or the the know-how about submitting these RFPs. And so I started working with this other company that was like a health and safety, like an oil and gas health and safety company. And they really enjoyed this proposal writing as well. And so I decided at one point that I was going to break out on my own and try to offer this to more than just one company at a time because it seemed like it was genuinely helping and it was valuable and it was a skill set that I had really worked hard on and there was really something there and it felt exciting because it wasn't something that I was seeing in the market a lot. You know, I, I tried Googling to find proposal writers and proposal writing consultants and it didn't seem to really exist, but there was this demand for it. So I think I was 25 at the time and it felt very bold to go ahead and start my own company. I didn't think that that would, uh, you know, I kind of had to talk myself into it a little bit. And a friend of mine, he really helped me to see if you have value and you have opportunity and you have demand in the marketplace, why would you let your age hold you back from meeting that demand and offering what you have to offer? Mm -hmm. And so I decided to be brave and start my company. And I slowly worked away at it and built up a client base and moved back to Victoria and reconnected with some architects and engineers in Victoria and just kept moving forward. And so now it's, it's at a place where it's very, it's very comfortable and in my heart and my mind, it's successful and it's something that I'm excited about. And it's something that I think is, is really helping these, these firms. Yeah, it's really inspiring, actually, because uh, I've not really made a solid effort on my own to try to start my own business because it looks so daunting and it seems like there's so much work involved, right? And that, uh, you know, the conversation we had the other day, I was really, um, yeah, I was really moved by it. I thought, okay, this is really nice to talk to somebody who's uh, gone through this process and been really excited about it and explained the amount of hard work but satisfaction that comes out of doing something that you really believe in and something that you're excited about. So that's incredible. And that gives you an opportunity to work from home. Yes. Yeah. Which yes. gives you an opportunity to move to a small Gulf Island. Yes. I started crafting the kind of lifestyle that I wanted from the very beginning. I knew that for myself, I wanted to work at least mostly from home and I wanted flexibility over my schedule because I have rhythms and patterns of when I'm the most productive and when I'm less productive. And I wanted to be able to run errands when I want to, but I also am, I'm not afraid of hard work. And so for many years, I would wake up at, you know, 4.30 or 5 in the morning and work all day and sometimes work late into the night because I knew that I was working towards a, a sustainable lifestyle that would allow me to have flexibility, you know, maybe start a family, like do all of these things that I didn't feel like working an office job nine to five 
was going to give me the satisfaction and the lifestyle that I wanted. And I didn't want to wait until retirement to be able to live that way. And so working from home allows me to take the dogs to the beach over lunch or, you know, duck out for a round of disc golf every now and then because I've worked to the point where it's okay if I, you know, give myself a little bit of a break, but I'm still working on taking a vacation. That one is still a work in progress for me. Okay. When's the last time you had a vacation? The last time I had a vacation where I didn't work during it, seven years ago. Whoa, really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. But what do you mean by work during it? Like what kind of, how much work were you doing? So we went to um, Amsterdam and London and we did this like little Europe trip and we visited friends and we had a, right before the pandemic and I brought my laptop with me so that I could wake up super early before Joe woke up and I would sit in the bathroom of our hotel or Airbnb or wherever we were staying and I would work from, you know, five until eight or nine whenever Joe woke up. Um, and I think he probably purposely let me work a little late on certain days. Um, and so I would just carve out time. Or if we were on a night train and we're, you know, on this train through the night, I would carve out a few hours here and there. And so to the point where quite a few of my clients had no idea that I was on vacation because I didn't want them to have to, you know, bear the brunt of me going away. Mm -hmm. Because also with proposals, the deadline is the deadline. It doesn't matter if you're if you have other plans, the deadline is the deadline. Sure. Yeah. And so I'm working on being able to create systems and processes and build a team around me so that I can take a vacation where I don't bring my computer. That's the goal. Okay. Well, that's the goal. You will <laughs> achieve it for sure. Definitely. You seem like you're goal oriented and I, I think you'll make it. You're going to get there the next vacation. Definitely. Um, well, okay. So you brought up Joe a couple of times, your partner who um, yes. you moved here with. Uh, maybe you could explain a bit of the process to uh, how you guys decided to uh, move to Pender specifically and uh, the steps that happened and roughly when that happened. Yes. So we were living in Brentwood Bay. Joe is from Brentwood. And he's very lucky to be from Brentwood. And so we were living in Brentwood and we were house hunting. And originally we were house hunting in Victoria. Um, but we were looking at what our five-year plan, 10-year plan, 15-year plan was. And buying in Victoria, we fairly quickly realized didn't actually line up with what we wanted. It just felt like that was the logical next step. We were living in Victoria, so why not buy a house in Victoria? But once we looked at it more closely and talked about what we wanted and where we wanted to be, we didn't actually really want to be in Victoria. So the next hurdle was figuring out where we do want to be. And I initially joked about, let's just run away to the Gulf Islands together. We could move to Pender and you could play disc golf every day. And because he's an avid disc golfer. And uh, he took me seriously and he looked at the logistics and he looked at the ferry schedules and he, you know, he broke it all down and he figured out that if we played our cards just right, we could actually move to Pender. And so we started house hunting and I think it took about four months before we found our house. We put in a bunch of offers and had our hearts broken multiple times, no, but no. I'm so glad because the house that we ended up with is without a doubt our house. And I'm so grateful that we didn't buy any other house. 
So it all worked out, but it was it was a little bit heartbreaking, the process. But I think that's just how it goes. Yeah, that's weird. I've actually heard that from a number of people, right? Because it's so difficult when you've got your your heart and soul riding on this happening. And then it's like, why well, we got outbid? And uh, no, why again? But then ultimately, when it does happen, like you say, it seems as if it's always like, this is actually, this is the house that we were meant to be in. This is perfect, right? Um, when did this happen? Last May. So we've almost come up on our house anniversary. I think it's the 21st of May, I think we figured out, is our official move-in day. And so we're we're getting ready to celebrate our one year in our new house. What are you going to do? What are you going to do for the anniversary? There will definitely be a few drinks involved. But I don't... <laughs> I mean, realistically, we'll probably play disc golf, barbecue on the front deck, and have a couple drinks with the dogs. Nice. That sounds like a pretty good day. Yeah. It's cool that your dogs drink. That's uh, <laughs> is there some, what, what kind of dogs do you have? Um, Elsa is the, the eldest of yeah. the two dogs. And she is a short-haired St. Bernard. And she's a fan favorite. She, she turns heads and for good reason. She's such a sweetheart. And she's a big girl. And Obi is our puppy. He's seven months old. And he is a greater Swiss mountain dog mystery cross. We know who his mom was, but we don't, he was a rescue. And so we don't know for sure, but he, he's very cute. He's a little scamp. Okay, sweet. I've met both those dogs and yes, yeah, they're both great dogs. I, I love the puppy, especially as well <laughs> too. Opie. Uh, so you've been here for a year almost. Mm-hmm. And uh, how was, how was this first year been for uh, you and Joe? It's been really nice. It was really nice to have Joe already be quite involved in the disc golf community as a way to introduce us to island life and already feel like we had some connections and we had some, um, you know, some people that we could say hi to in the grocery store and see out on the course. And so it felt like it was a very natural transition and we felt very welcomed. It already felt like Joe had a bunch of friends on the island. And then for me, I was able to start to feel like I was carving out my own little sense of community when when we got Obi and I started a little puppy play group and I would meet people myself through the dogs and then going to all of the different exercise classes that are offered on the island and starting to connect with the women. And I'm going to start going to the the Tuesday disc golf ladies group and, you know, carve out those those relationships that are that are mine. Nice. So you're you're finding a lot of things to do on the island. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I don't have an a lot of free time because, you know, work takes up a, a lot of time, but between, you know, going for hikes, going to the beach, I'm loving all of the little classes like the Pilates and, you know, in bar and fitness and yoga and all of the little the underground um community of of exercise and I I say that it's underground it's not really it's just because you know you have to be in the know you have to be in the right facebook group chats and that kind of thing but yeah i'm really i do find that there's a lot to do on the island and of course with with disc golf we always find time for that for sure yeah i love disc golf too (laughs) um so how has the reality of living on the island for the last year mirrored or been different to what your expectation of was for living on the island. Because it's interesting when we make new switches in our life, we do new things. I think we we kind of have like a vague 
envisioning of what things will be like, but has it measured up to what you expected? Has it been better? Has it been worse? It has been a little bit different, but definitely in a good way. So I had it in my mind that moving to a more isolated community would make me feel isolated. And I am a natural introvert and I like curling up and spending time by myself. And so I thought, you know, I'll be a bit of a recluse, but I'm fine with that. But I've actually noticed that I feel more connected to community here than I did in Victoria. I'm not sure if it's the community itself or the fact that it is a smaller pond. And so you feel like you have a little bit more of a presence. But that was one thing that surprised me was that I thought that I would feel isolated, but I instead feel more connected. And so that's been a very happy surprise. Yeah, that's fantastic. And that connection has come through, I guess, the uh, exercise classes, the puppy play groups, the disc golf, all that. Yeah. And having a really strong connection to our neighbors, I think. I have not had this kind of friendship with neighbors before. Um, I've lived in places where you you sort of know your neighbors, but I really feel like the classic example of you know, borrowing a cup of sugar. I'd never experienced that kind of neighborliness, that kind of community where you genuinely just help each other out and, you know, stop and chat every time you see them and feel like you are forming a friendship and a relationship. And that's been really, really nice. You know, it doesn't mean that you're hanging out all the time, but it feels like real community when you know your neighbors, you like your neighbors, and you can lean on each other for little things when you need to. Yeah, totally. You know, it's interesting. I've never been a fan of small talk too much, but I'm starting to appreciate it more and more now because I feel like it's been taken away from us a bit the last two years. And then just having those brief interactions with people, I find way more meaningful than I did in the past because I think having those micro interactions, especially at the grocery store, I've uh, I've really missed those, you know, coming home from a trip to the Driftwood and reflecting on, wow, those were four great small conversations I had. I really, really love that feeling. And I've missed that the last two years. So I guess like similar to what you're saying, having those brief interactions with your neighbors that were non-existent before you're finding a lot of value in. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And my sister was telling me about um, I don't, because it's, you know, kind of third hand now there, there was research done on happiness and, you know, what communities and what countries are the happiest and what feeds into your happiness and your, your satisfaction and having micro interactions like that really does impact us in our sense of feeling connected, feeling community and feeling happy ultimately and feeling satisfied with our lives And it was really interesting that that was something that I was just sharing with her when she was checking in and saying, you know, how are you doing? How are you liking the island? You know, are you feeling isolated? And I was sharing. I was like, oh, this is the coolest. Like I'm having all of these little conversations and seeing people in the grocery store and seeing familiar faces all the time and how it's making me feel so connected. And then she shared, you know, that that's actually a major indicator of and and influence on your happiness and your satisfaction levels. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, totally. But there's actually science behind it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. And I think a lot of people are, are we're realizing that now, right? And it's uh, it's nice to have that validated by scientific evidence to yeah. <laughs> uh, to confirm what, something we already knew. And so as the years go by uh, that you'll be living on Pender, how do you see yourself uh, integrated into the community more? Like what sort of ideas do you have for like what um, other things that you, you possibly see on the horizon that you want to be involved with? Any ideas? Hmm. Well, I had already reached out to the Pender Conservation Society about helping them with grant writing or proposal writing. And I'm still hoping that that there's an opportunity there at some point. And last summer, we signed up to be Friends of the Trails because I love hiking. Um, but we didn't actually hear back. So... <laughs> So like, <laughs> Maybe sorry. someone will listen to this and you'll, so you'll, you'll hear, yeah, you're going to so hear back. I'm going to try following up again because I do love the idea of participating in things that I am already interested in. And like the Friends of the Trails seemed perfect because I love hiking. And so being able to contribute to those trails being accessible and safe for other people as well. And I mean, if I'm going to be hiking the trail anyway then, you know, may as well. And so I'm still really hoping that we can do that. And then, of course, with Joe and his his disc golf planning different events, and I was thinking that uh, I might ask Kathy if she needs help with, uh, with a few of the tournaments, because I've helped Joe with some of his tournaments. And so it would be nice to participate more in that. But I am excited to, as I get to know more people, start to become more aware of the opportunities for volunteering because, you know, the more connected and in the know you are, the more knowledgeable you can become about how you fit in. And so I think I'm still finding, I'm still kind of searching around. I've had a few false starts. But I'm still searching for my place where I fit in and I can contribute. Totally. And this is the amazing thing about the island is that there's so many different possibilities to fit in. And I didn't even know about Friends of the Trail. Uh, I hadn't even heard of that before, right? And it's interesting like, to um, have conversations like this and have these different things come up. I was speaking with somebody yesterday and he was talking about the uh, the boom or sorry, <laughs> the broom bash. So clearing the broom on the island, right? And that uh, we got talking about that. And uh, yeah, there was this, this island. It's kind of amazing that there's so many opportunities to do different things and be involved in different things. Anyway, I think we live in such a great place and I'm so excited about seeing things taken off again now that uh, we're past this really weird two years. But um, you mentioned hiking. Where have you gone hiking uh, in the past that you've really enjoyed uh, outside of Pender Island? My favorite hike was probably the Wanda Fuca Trail. Over four days, I hiked that with my sister and her husband. And that was such a fun trip because we were able to spend all of that time together that, you know, it's difficult as, as you grow up and live your own lives to connect with individual family members for extended periods of time like that. You know, like normally you'll get the whole family together, but it was really, really nice to be able to hike a unbelievable trail that I'd been wanting to for quite some time, but I'd never done a multi-day hike before. And so my sister helped me to teach me, you know, what do you need to bring and how do you need to prepare and how do you plan your meals? And it was just a really, really great opportunity for us to spend time together. And then the next year we did Mount Albert Edward and Joe came along for that one, which was so fun. 
and my sister and her husband. And it was on that trip that they told us that they were pregnant. And <laughs> so I just feel like I have these like special memories connected to these hiking trips where like the hiking itself is unbelievable. Yeah. You know, we hiked up to the summit and then there was snowfall. And so we were able to kind of ski down just on our feet. Awesome. Down the steepest part. And we were just like cackling with laughter the whole time because it was just silly fun. But it was, oh, it was so fun. It was, it was such a good time. Um, we left my, my sister at base camp for that one. That one was, <laughs> was a little bit tricky for her. Um, but yeah, those are my, my favorites were the Wanda Fuca and the Mount Albert Edward. I would definitely do those again. Nice. Yeah, my wife and I did uh, Mount Albert Edward a few years ago and the alpine flowers up there, incredible. And I remember as well too that there was a storm rolling in and uh, it really started to develop as we were close to the top. And I was like, oh, this is an hour and a half till we get back to our tent. Anyway, just that vulnerability of being up on a mountain and not knowing what the weather is going to do and and whatever it's going to do, you're going to have to live with and then wait a little while until you, you manage to get down to your base camp and back into a tent if it's pouring rain. But um, yeah, that's a beautiful hike. It's really nice. Yeah. yeah, the first day of the Juan de Fuca, it was absolutely torrential. And we were just laughing the whole time because, you know, all the weather reports said that we were going to have really good weather. And thankfully, we packed all of our rain gear. But it was just hilarious that we were hiking. I think it, we did 20 kilometers the first day. So we went really hard on the first day and then paced it out for the other days. But it was just absolutely torrential. And we were just laughing and laughing because it was, you know, what else are you supposed to do? Right. You know? <laughs> You're on the trail. You're committed now. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds similar to, you know, like the, the hard work that uh, your grandfather encouraged. You can still laugh while you're doing really hard work, while you're hiking through the rain and uh, working really hard. You can still laugh. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's great. Um, I think we're going to uh, wind it up pretty quick here, but uh, is there anything else that you want to uh, say to the people at Pender? Anything that uh, you want to put out there that uh, you didn't uh, say already? Gosh, um, I am naturally an introvert and I'm a little bit shy, but I'm very excited to meet everybody and I'm going to try really hard to push myself out of my comfort zone um, because I really do. I've loved connecting with everybody that I've met so far. And so, you know, I'm I'm very looking forward to saying hi to people and talking to people and getting to know everybody and and really be part of the community. And if anybody has any volunteer opportunities, I would like to help. Well, there's only one thing left to say, and that's the title of this podcast series, and it's Welcome Home. Thank you. Oh, well, wasn't that great? I really had a great time doing that interview with Alexandra, and it was really nice to get to re-listen to that because that happened many months ago, and it was really a lot of fun. I really hope you enjoyed that as well, too. There's going to be more of these coming, so stay tuned. And not much else to say other than thank you to Ben McConkie for the theme music. Thank you for listening. and. Until next time.